Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Asian Americans. Your host, Jerry Wan here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Hope you're doing well. Hope you're staying safe and healthy. Today is July 21st, and today we're so, so, so excited to feature the Startup Sisters episode with Vanessa and Kim Pham, the two sister co-founders behind Amsam. Last week, you got a chance to listen to their individual episodes, and today we bring you, and today I bring you the conversation that I had with both sisters, talking about their journeys before starting a business and some of the lessons and perspectives that they've gained since they started a company together. So excited you could join us. A lot of lessons and a lot of wisdom in this one. So tune in, share this with a friend. And without further ado, here now is my conversation with Kim and Vanessa Pham. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dear Asian Americans. We are on episode 61. And wherever you are right now and whenever you may be listening to this, we wish you all the health, happiness, and uh, safety. Um, it's a crazy time. Um, I'm in L.A., and uh, we're just about to shut everything down again. The numbers are not looking good elsewhere. And so wherever you are, we genuinely wish you happiness and that um, certain politicians start getting their conscience and their science rights and keep schools closed and, and do everything that so that we can go back to uh, being ourselves and to, uh, you know, enjoying each other, including our family, our siblings and food. And so if you're listening to this now, there's a very good chance that you listen to episodes 58 and 59 and got to hear individual stories from the amazing fam sisters who are joining us together today to talk to us together about what it is to run a startup with your sister. So Vanessa and Kim, welcome back to the show. Thanks so much. Hello. You guys are on quite a, um, I don't know if you have the world's best publicist or just people <laughs> love your stuff and they share it. Um, if you do have a best publicist, I, I need his or her information too. So we can talk about that <laughs> offline. But you guys have been, even since the time that we talked, um, which wasn't very long ago, maybe uh, two weeks max, um, you guys have been featured in additional um, publications. And the most notable one is Vogue. So congratulations to you and your continued success. And as we know, um, that's not the measure of success, right? Um, you know, you are doing this for for very different reasons. So um, Kim, let's start with you. Um, you've had a chance to listen to Vanessa's episode and, and the conversation together. Um, what are your initial thoughts? Yeah, so I actually just listened to it. I was, um, I went for a walk. That so was like my self-care for the day. Um, and it was just, it was like funny to listen to because it just felt so Vanessa. I was like, in some ways I was almost like predicting what she was going to say. I was like, I know what she's going to say here. And she did. Um, but it was actually um, just a wonderful reflection of who she is as a person of like very intentional, very thoughtful, um, just like a deeply empathetic human and it was like, I know this, I work with her, I'm her sister, um, and we lived together, you know, for 18 years of my life, but it was just really cool to hear it from a, a new perspective. Um, and I kind of got reminded of some stories that I've just completely forgot about. Like, I have the world's worst memory, like, I, there's chunks of my childhood that, like, I literally, like, no, don't know what happened there. Um, so it was just wonderful to kind of hear like, oh yeah, like that happened. And that's why she thinks um, how she does. And that's why she does the things that she does. Um, it was like, yeah, it was just like a really cool reminder that my sister's kick ass, but 
that were also really different. And that's a wonderful thing. What's one of the stories that you were reminded of as you were listening to her episode? Yeah, the, the biggest one was probably just like her thoughts around um, my father. Um, because my father and I have a very, very different relationship than I think she has with my father. Um, and I, and I talked about this during my episode of like, oh, I love my dad and he is a big part of who I am, but for very, very, very different reasons. Like a lot of Vanessa's, um, like one of the stories was around how like my father would like show up at MIT and like wait outside to like, um, like sit in on a class. And I was like, oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that story. But I do remember him telling us that story and but it resonated really differently for Vanessa than it did for me um but yeah just like a, that was a really wonderful thing for me to be like oh yes that that happened um so yeah it was just it was a lot of it was really really a delight to listen to that that is excellent and Vanessa your thoughts on Kim's episode <clears throat> yes I listened to it right before this as well um, and oh, it was, it was really, it was awesome to hear. I mean, I love hearing Kim speak. I think she is so like charismatic and, and just like always herself. She has such a distinctive way with words and also distinctive, unique ideas. And so I've always admired Kim's ability to speak for herself and not, not speak for her audience in the way that I feel like in some ways I've been like more trained to do in my lifetime. And I feel like Kim just like is always unabashedly herself. So I, I always love hearing her speak. Um, I remember like when I was in my college to like post-grad years being in some of my like ruts around like, oh, here I got to wake up and like go do my corporate job. And then I just imagined Kim like flying around the country and like speaking at like <laughs> conferences and like, like tweeting like really cool relevant things that people shared and I was like no one cares about my goddamn slides um, <laughs> and this was just like a reminder of that feeling of just like damn <laughs> I remember I don't feel that way as much anymore because like as much anymore because I we work together and and I think like I've come into my own voice more recently in the past couple of years um and then just like I like, I live hearing her ideas every day and, and I love, I love that privilege. Um, but I was just kind of reminded of those times in my life where I was like, Oh, she's probably doing cool things while I'm holed up in this corporate office, office ordering seamless at 1am. Um, and then the other, the other awesome part was, uh, hearing about her experience in college. Cause like Kim, you and I have just started to like unpack that more together but I didn't really like during that time, I was just being like a selfish high schooler and you were being like a selfish college student. And we didn't yeah. share that much. We called each other when our boyfriends or we broke up with boyfriends or bro boyfriends broke up with us, whatever, but like, or girlfriends, yeah. whatever. Um, not to be normative, but I just think like, yeah, I think we didn't share those. Like we didn't talk as much about academics or like professional aspirations. And um, it was kind of interesting to, to hear that experience for you, how you were like, I don't, this doesn't resonate with me. Like college, college kind of sucks in some ways. And I just had a very different experience. So it was, it was really interesting to hear that. I think on to, to start, um, <laughs> slides never matter. No matter <laughs> what. Um, I don't care what you all consultants think out there. Uh, and if you are a miserable analyst working on slides, as you're listening to this, nobody will look at it after your meeting. So don't put too much work into it. Um, Go, go work on more meaningful things. Um, 
So, Kim, you, you mentioned something during my conversation with you about Vanessa, and then we actually made it Vanessa's episode's tagline, and it was that we were meant to be co-founders. And to me, that's really fascinating and meaningful because um, I have one sibling, one older brother myself, and I think similar to you guys, we're a little bit different. You know, um, It's always fascinating to know that um, we can come from the same genetic code, same live under the same household, under the similar circumstances, and just be turning out differently, right? And it's not good or bad. It's just different. Um, and I don't know if I will ever start anything professionally with my brother. Um, he, ha- Him and I have different paths and different passions. Um, but what about your sisterhood and the relationships and the experiences of your earlier years um, led you to have that feeling of wanting, or I guess knowing that eventually you guys would do something together as adults? Hmm. That's a great question. You'll quickly realize that like, I don't, I operate a lot from my gut and from emotion and from heart. It's like the best thing about me and the worst thing about me. So I feel like I've known this for like my whole life. Like literally Vanessa says in her episode where like, you know, she taught me, she turned to me and was like, we should start something. And I was like, I've been waiting my whole life for this. Like that wasn't, that's not like some cheesy like story that we put together for prep. Like it's genuinely something that I've felt like deep in my soul And I don't know when or how, or if there was like an inflection point or like a transformative moment. It was literally, I'm just like, of course, like who else would I do this with? Um, And like, sure. Yes. It's like the complimentary skill sets and the da, 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 da. And like Vanessa's one way and I'm one way. Like that's all like real and, and great and like accurate to like our story. But I think there was for me just like something deeper of like, we share the same values we have a very similar view on the world we're extremely close in a way that takes people years if ever to achieve with one another and i've just been in the startup game long enough like both in good and bad companies just to see like how you know when when i was working at startup i've worked for like great founding teams where they had you know incredible chemistry and complementary skill sets Um, And I've seen that work out really well. And I've also worked for really bad companies where there was a lot of animosity and tension and ego. And I think a lot of that ultimately led to the company's demise. And then I've also worked in venture capital where like with early stage investing, the partners that I was working for always would be like, yes, market, yes, product. But the number one thing we care about is team. Like one of my bosses used to say, like, you don't, oh my gosh, what did he say? There was a saying where he's like, you know, you don't bet on the cart, you bet on the horse or something like this. But it's just like this idea of like people being at the core of a company. And for me, like there's no better person in the world than Vanessa that like, like, I just, I don't, I don't know who that person would be. Um, And definitely not someone who could like stand to work with me and deal with my, all my idiosyncrasies. And um, yeah, it just was something that I've always known. And I felt like I've been waiting my whole life for her to get around, even if I didn't know that. Um, like when I was leaving my job in London and I was traveling and then when I came back to the U S like, I didn't have a plan. Like I didn't even know Vanessa wanted to start a company. I didn't know I wanted to start a company, but like something in the universe told me that like, don't make any plans. I actually had a job offer, um, in London and I had my visa and everything. And I was like, something in my gut telling me like not take it up. And I just didn't know that I was waiting for her, you know, like the whole time. That's awesome. Um, I, I think it's you can see the chemistry even through the conversations and, and the work that you guys do. And um, one, one thing that I notice in talking to you guys and, and seeing how you guys react um, non-verbally to talking about each other, even verbally, is just joy, which I think is very hard to come by. 
um, in general when it comes to work, um, but also doing meaningful work. Um, Vanessa, I'm very curious to learn about how you view your sister now because she left to go to college when you were 16 um, after your sophomore year. And because she lived in New York and then went to go work in Europe and you went down your own path, you didn't really spend full time with her. So, it, you know, in a span of, you know, let's call it 10 years, you've known your sister, but from a distance. And you just mentioned that the things that you guys would talk about and the frequency at which you would talk varied greatly. Um, what have you learned about your sister that you didn't know, spe- uh, specifically in the sense of um, professionals things? I guess you awed her, you were in awe of her from a distance, but um, what are some things that you realize about her working closely with her on a day-to-day basis? <laughs> oh, yeah. A lot, lots of things. Oh, my God. I could go on and on about this. Like, just so many surprises. I had, I mean, I have to, you have to also, I take into account the fact that I was like trained in a very like specific way of working. And I thought everybody was like that. So like, I think part of this is just my like closed mindedness around how the rest of the world operates professionally. Um, but I think the major things about Kim, um, I think she, one of the things that I learned is like, she operates like from a place of like intuition and and instinct and gut, what she said. But like, I say a lot of, I think a lot of people live their lives like that. I think honestly, fewer people work like that. Like maybe if you go to like kind of the more traditional creative realms, people like that's, that's recognized and, and rewarded. But I think in lots of times in the business sense, people are always like the numbers will tell you the story. This is like, find the data, get to the bottom of what the numbers are telling you. And I think Kim doesn't, doesn't, she, she'll leave that to me. She fully trusts me. And she's like, yeah, 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 whatever you say. But she comes from a place of, of emotion, feeling and intuition. And I, like, she actually operates that way. A lot of times I'm like, wait, why do you think that? Because like, look at all these data points, like look at my fully kind of airtight um, evaluation and analytical breakdown. And she's like, but this is how I- I feel this is the right route. And, and oftentimes she hits the nail on the head. Like I think she comes, her gut and her intuition is, is really meaningful. And it's, she may not like always have, you know, the clear bullet point um, kind of backup for whatever she's saying, but it's a, her own emotional analysis is not just based on emotion. It's based on a lot of different data points that come to her as feeling that she synthesizes as a feeling, as a, as a, um, I guess as intuition, but I've never really worked with anybody that way. As you can imagine, management consultants do not operate that way. And it's been really amazing to, to have, I think, an opportunity to work with someone who has operated that way and has been so successful in operating that way. I think it's really challenged me to see things differently as well. But that's the biggest thing that I've learned from her. There's a lot of other things that she's, I think another one is that she's really like biased towards execution and I'm the opposite. I'm like, let's like dot, you know, cross all our T's and dot all our I's. And she's just like, okay, like in the world of startups, like, like, you know, done is better than perfect. And I, I think she like really lives that. Um, I'm still, that's still not, doesn't come naturally to me, <laughs> but I respect, I respect it. And I like, I, I think the, the speed at which she kind of moves through things is like really impressive. Um, and so, yeah, 
I think we've just done a good job of optimizing who does what given like we approach things so differently, but she really does operate that way. Um, I like, I always thought people just said that. And with Kim, it's like, Oh no, no, no. She really feels like this is what she wants. This is the route we should take. And this is, she feels that. <laughs> and Kim, I'll ask you the same thing. You left home when Vanessa was still in high school, you travel the world and, and you've, you know, done things at a global scale while still keeping your heart in Boston and at home. And then now to come back to the States and to start with this, um, how, or I guess, what have you learned about your little sister and as a co-founder, not just as your little sister? Hmm. I feel like so much, I don't know. I've again, world's worst memory. Um, I feel like in high school, my view of her was always in relation to me. <laughs> Classic selfish Kim. Um, I was like, Oh, she's like my younger sister. And like, Oh, people always compare us because you were close in age. And we would often be like, you know, we'd be in the same schools, like, same high school, you know, same, like not middle school, but like same elementary school. So it was always kind of like, what did people think of us in relation to the other? And I think as the oldest, as a first one to kind of go through the American school system, the first kind of like go through that, I think I was really caught up in trying to define myself and be different. And so that was like, my view of Vanessa was always like, oh, she's like, the smart, pretty one. She's really popular. She's, you know, track star and like gotten to Harvard. And then I think it wasn't until like I left for college, kind of found my own self and my own identity in New York City. And then even then like left the country to go really forge my own path that I then started to realize and recognize that Vanessa stands whole as an individual. And like, there's something really like unique and interesting about her, regardless of whether or not she's my sister. Um, and so that has never been more clear. Like that learning process has obviously never been more clear. Like once we've been starting this business together um, and like all the things that she says is very true. Vanessa has, does like this really remarkable thing where if you're creative, like, I don't know, I can't speak for all creatives, but if you're creative, this comes like kind of foreign, but like I live so present and in the moment. And sometimes Vanessa has this like remarkable ability to like pull out of her body and like see all of these like individual moments like pieces of data inputs and like wraps them all together into like a thesis or a trend or an opinion or a thought and it's just like i've just my brain doesn't even work that way and it's just so so cool to see her do it it's just been such a fucking delight to see her step into herself as a leader like she's always been herself as an individual but as a fan like i think she's done a really like good job of defining that for herself but I think to find her style as a leader is really, really cool to see. I find myself oftentimes like looking to her when it comes to like making decisions for the team, um, kind of just even making decisions for the business. Like there's a reason she's CEO and I don't, I used to feel some type of way about that being like an older sister or whatever, but now I'm just like, I, first of all, this business would implode if I was CEO. <laughs> um, second of all, like I don't even feel bad about it because she's clearly the one to do it. She's clearly the one to like, think long-term she's clearly the one to like build the best team build the best strategy build the best like path like I'm here looking at rocks on this path of like how do I get over this pebble and this pebble and Vanessa's like all right there's a mountain there's like a mountain down there and like this is the equipment that we need to like scale this mountain we need to be thinking about this weather we need to be thinking about the wind coming in this you know <laughs> per hour and I'm like but there's a pebble that we need to get over right here <laughs> Um, and that's just been so, so cool to watch, um, and like help her along her journey of doing that. Like 
it's yeah, that's just been really, really cool to do. I, I will say that in her ever uh, <laughs> sense of humility, when I asked her the specific question of who has what job title, she was extremely pointed on the fact that you guys did not share or I guess have divisive <laughs> job titles or division of job titles, but that you guys were just equally co-founders. So I think that's very fascinating. Um, I'm going to leave this open up for either of you guys to jump in. Um, age is a funny thing in general, but age, particularly in an Asian family, means a whole lot of different things that I know our audience instantly mm -hmm. thinks about. And so when it comes to somebody who is of more age or older, we think of respect and honor and not talking back. And unfortunately, younger age is also associated with, oh, they are younger than me, therefore they don't know as much. And, and so particularly in a family and sibling context, um, people might feel that the older sibling generally, you know, because they've lived more life or whatever, that you always say yes to the older sibling. And I know in, in different families and different cultures, they vary slightly, but let's just, you know, start off with the age question. And, and now you guys are sort of going and elevating your relationship beyond the sisterhood and not while not ignoring it, you're trying to build a business together where voices need to be equal and fair. Um, share with the audience on some of the things that you've learned, uh, whether maybe our audiences are working and starting or going back because their parents have called them back to a family business and there are unspoken and gray area challenges and frustrations, particularly to, um, you know, siblings or cousins or even parents. Um, tell us about some of the lessons that you've learned and then some lessons that you might want to share with the audience on um, what it is to like w work with uh, family members. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I mean, <laughs> well, I think one of the the things that Kim and I, like, we've learned that there's things that each of us excels at and there's no, like, we should continue to challenge each other, but there's no reason to, to, to take pride in thinking that one person knows more on, on all fronts. Like that will just, that will just lead a business to nowhere. Like I have said, so Kim just said the business would implode if she was leading it. And I say that if Kim wasn't here, I would create a very operationally efficient, high contribution margin business that no one would give two Fs about. <laughs> like that's, that's the way that I see it. Right. And so like when it comes to us working together, like when she's talking about like the partnerships we should be building, blah, 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 like I'll have inputs, but I'm not going to pretend to like, to be the one that can, that can, can conceptualize how Omsom shows up in the world in different conversations, um, in different dialogues and cultural, cultural moments. Like I will defer to her on that 10 times out of 10. But like, if we're talking about like, who's negotiating with the supplier on like what rate we should be paying at this volume, like I'm your girl. <laughs> and so I just think it's really important to like put age aside and like, let's just talk about who, who is best equipped to make decisions on what front. Um, and I think that's a really important way to build a business. I think it's building a business meaningfully with a family member is about putting pride and ego aside again and again and again. 
because there's so much of that when it comes to families and sometimes with Asian families in particular because of cultural expectations. And so that's been one of the biggest exercises that we have to do together all the time is like, okay, what's speaking, who's speaking right now? Is this like me, like coming from a place of what's best for Amsam or is this me feeling slighted or feeling not heard, which is fair. And like, how can we be open and honest and work on that together? And like, it's been a huge exercise in that. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Asian kind of age thing is really interesting because um, I know that like definitely in our household growing up, like that was, you know, Vietnamese family is like age and, and seniority and the respect that comes with that. I mean, even just look at all the different ways that we call our family members. There's like, gee, go, like there's so much of that. Um, I, I guess like for me personally, um, it mad it matters less now because I think I we grew up with a father who was very much like in his own weird way like anti-authority so like we we carried a lot of our like Vietnamese kind of cultural things through but he also I remember you know growing up he was just like you know he's like I don't, you know I don't care if someone has a particular title or seniority like you know who you are as individual is all that is all that counts and I, I think I like really took that lesson with me and like took it deeply into my soul of like, just because someone's older than me or has a title or has a certain education or whatever, doesn't mean I'm like, they're better than me or I'm better than them. Like, and I feel like that, that sort of perspective has really like, I've leaned into that a lot more recently. I mean, obviously for many reasons with everything that's happening in the U S of like cops and institutions that are unjust at its core. Um, I think we're also kind of taking some of that, um, to us as founders where I like, I think Vanessa and I view each other very much as equals. Like sometimes it doesn't always feel like that. Like if we fight or if there's tension, but like I very much like this business is 50, 50 all the way through. Um, and that is just, that stems from like a deep respect for one another as individuals, not just as like fam sisters. And on the topic of family, I, I know I asked you guys individually, um, but what are your parents most proud of you guys about and, and what do you guys talk about and more importantly um how has this changed the dynamic of the fam family and the dialogues that you guys have because they're not now independently checking on you guys separately in two different continents doing separate things um it's almost one weaved conversation because you're not doing this just for yourselves you're building this thing for them too Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting and like nuanced question. Um, so they're, like Vanessa said in her episode, they're really super supportive. I think when we first started this, I wasn't, I don't think they were fully 100% sure of like what we were doing, but they were like, go girls. <laughs> um, I think now what they play, interestingly enough, and without probably their, um, uh, without them like volunteering or putting their hand up as such is they kind of in many ways play this like silent intermediary. Um, and so like, for example, like, you know, I, I probably speak to my parents maybe like once a week. I think Vanessa probably speaks to them a little bit more um, regularly, but sometimes I'll call and I'll just update them on my life outside of Amsam. I'll be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to go see this friend. I went for a walk today, whatever. And they'll be like, so like, you know, we spoke to Vanessa. <laughs> 
she's feeling kind of stressed. You're going to talk to her about that. And it's just like a funny little thing because, you know, we're so in it. Um, every day and like everyone's really stressed out and so like sometimes I'm just like oh my god I gotta get, get through my to-do list Vanessa's doing her thing on Slack you know Emily our marketing director's doing her thing like everyone's doing their own thing that it's very easy for me to forget that like Vanessa's a human on the other side of like that Slack program and so just to hear my parents gently float it I'm like oh okay so she had a conversation with them maybe earlier this week and she probably raised some things and like you know then should I kind of go back around and check in on her um, and that's not at all intentional. I know Vanessa isn't like, talk to Kim for me. You know, I just think it's, <laughs> it's them caring deeply about us as individuals. Like all they want for us genuinely is to be happy. Like, I don't even th- think they want us to be successful, although they would love that. But like, I think like when they think about like, what do I want for my daughters? It's not for them to be successful. It's not for them to get married. It's not for them to have kids. It's literally for just for us to be happy. Um, and so, yeah, that's, that's how I kind of view their role in this is like this very funny, like silent hand in the background, um, just checking up on us. Yeah. And I would, I mean, actually since Jerry, we talked, I had a talk with my parents, um, recently, I just kind of opened up to them. I was like, I told them about some of the things that we talked about, just about how, how I've like internalized some of their, their stories of like, you know, immigrant hardship and sacrifice as like, I've somehow internalized it as this like immense pressure that I, I must like, you know, really do right by them. And what that looks like is achieving is very visible success for like for them. And I, I just opened up fully and was like, this is what I'm feeling. And I'm so stressed. And I know like, that's not your, that was never your intention, but this is how I've internalized it. And this is what it looks like on the day to day. And I just like spelled it out for them. And it was so amazing to see how like they responded to that they were like, we had no idea, honey. Like it was, it was so heartening. They were like, we never wanted that for you. Like we want you to be so happy. And then my dad had this like amazing pep talk with me where he was, I told him about this. So he was like, you know, he was just like cheering on being like, you're doing such a good job. And he was like saying all these things that were, you know, like, here's really, you're, you're, you're so persuasive. And I wish my English was as good as yours. So I could be as persuasive were some of the things that he said. And then he, the best one though, that he repeated three times in this call, I was like walking in the East village, like literally tearing up. He was like, you know, you're doing a great job. You're so persuasive, blah, blah. And then he was like, and Vanessa, your heart is so pure. Your heart is so pure. He said it three times and it literally like, I get emotional thinking about it because it was so powerful that that's what he measured as like the thing that I should be proud of. He was like, nobody can judge you. Nobody can tell you if you're worth it or if your self-worth is, it's not on the table. Your heart is so pure. And like, that was just a beautiful moment for me where I could see clearly like, Oh, that's what they want for me. That's, that's what they see in us as, as their daughters. So yeah, we're super, we're super lucky to have them. And I, I feel like as an adult, every day I'm learning like, oh, like that's what matters. Like that's what matters. That's what our parents see as what matters. And um, yeah, every day, uh, especially as a founder, I feel like that journey has been accelerated times 10, but I'm learning a lot on that front. You know, you bring up such a good point, Vanessa. I think we, um, children of immigrants, children of refugees, I think we make up what we think our parents want for us in our minds. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe lack of cultural understanding uh sometimes it's a language barrier um 
But in general, I would say that our generation is more open to talking about things like expectations of happiness and success, even amongst our peers, um, than our parents. I mean, they've been through some stuff that, you know, they probably never want to talk about, right? Some crazy shit back in their old lives. So um, I think in the absence of just authentic conversation, we sometimes unfortunately assume what they define to be our expectations of success and you're not the first person to share a story with me and even myself of just like, wait a minute, I thought you wanted me to be blah, blah, blah. And it generally ends with no son, no daughter. Like, I just want you to be happy. And we thought, based on our understanding of the world, given where we come from, that doing XYZ, going to ABC school would lead to that happiness. But if you're not, F it, go do something else. And that is so freeing that, as much as we in our own American souls want to do what we want to do, like just to hear that. Um, and so, you know, I mean, hell, if you're a parent listening to this, go call your kids, right? Like just tell them that don't, don't tie your love or your self-worth. And unfortunately there's a lot of crappy parents out there who still do. And I don't know what we can do to change that in, in a, in a more cultural sense. But um, if you feel the same way we do um, call your mom, call your dad, call your kids, like just tell them and, you know, you you will you will uh, avoid years of anguish and anxiety, and um, just being on the same page. Um, another reason why I think the Fam Sisters are absolute badasses that will be celebrated for many, many, many years. Um, in addition to um, you guys doing this, and in particular, you know, Asian food, and just it's the perfect storm of all of your experiences and perspectives combined. Is that you are two Southeast Asian women in a startup world that is arguably maybe perhaps, I don't know, outside of a few very weird industries, not diverse at all. We know what the stereotypes are. It's, uh, you know, average white men with good connections and access to funds, either family or network, who venture off on these crazy grandiose dreams, selling themselves in private rooms and private boardrooms to get funding to pursue um, what I would consider sometimes mediocre and unnecessary problems to solve, um, you know, and then you have, you know, things like WeWork, right? Like that are that are crazy. And then that's the stories we hear about often, just the audacity to dream big from a particular uh, subset of the population that we have this idea of, right? Like when I say startup founder, people just visualize a Mark Zuckerberg, right? Like, a white guy with the hoodie. And somehow we've, even in the world of startups, we have um, characterized and stereotyped to somebody that does not look like us, but not just even look like the majority of the world. Um, what does it mean for you too to be representing women, to be representing Vietnamese people um, in trying to be a successful startup in America? And again, I know you guys are humble, so I'm going to brag for you, but Dude, people at your stage, the number of companies at your specific stage that get featured in the household names that you are, um, again, that's not the measure of success, but it does validate the shit out of what you guys are doing. Um, what what does it mean for you? And what do you want to say to our younger female listeners who may be led to believe that they can't, that they shouldn't, that they're not allowed to? 
Vanessa, I think you have a really good story. I mean, you talked a little bit about it um, in your podcast episode, just around like classic Vanessa function, like this trade-off between like, I could do it this one way or I could do it this other way. And this way is like, you know, like faster and better. And like my values won't change oh, as a yeah. result of this. Like I love that, like yeah. that trade-off because I think it's such a perfect encapsulation of how Vanessa thinks. Yeah. I mean, things never work out that way. It's just to make myself like feel like I have rhyme and reason to what I'm doing. <laughs> um, yeah. Wow. I mean, I think, I don't know. I mean, it's, I, I would, I can't say we have anything figured out at all. Like it means, it means everything to us to have this opportunity. And I don't think Kim and I take that lightly at all. Like it's not even just at like, not even just the fact that like, as like we're, you know, we're founders and we're building something. And so like, there's not many of us that look like us. There's also the whole aspect that our business is doing something really different than what other businesses set out to do in, in many ways. And I think Kim and I, like we weave that into every single decision we make as individuals and as founders. And we're doing like, we're just doing our best. And I, I know, like, I know we, I really hope that we like, you know, we never make a mistake or we don't, we don't do something that, you know, it can be like misconstrued as, as not the right decision. But like every day we think about the weight of, of what we're doing. Um, and in some ways it's hard to be like one of the earlier ones or like, you know, forging a, a path. But I think that um, it's also like the biggest like honor um, to, to be doing that. And so OMSOM as a company, like we really hope that everything that we do honors and celebrates the communities and cuisines that we represent. And that's, that is like truly one of the things that comes up in every decision, every conversation we have around major decisions. Um, and I'm, I'm just like, I'm really glad that like we have each other to always remind each other of that North star. I think that um, between two sisters that like have, have lived our lives in, in different ways, but have ultimately carried the same set of core values. We, one of us could like potentially kind of lose sight in the, in the pressures of, of building a company in the midst of, of, you know, be, being underwater and, and all the things that we're working on, but we always like have each other for that. And I know we've done that for each other. So I'm like super thankful for that. Yeah. And let's, Kim, I'm sorry. Yeah. I, I guess like, I, there's I have some, I have so many thoughts on this, <laughs> on this topic, just having worked in tech since literally I was 16. Um, I will echo Vanessa's sentiment that it is like an honor and like, you know, days are super fucking brutal, but then like, you know, I manage our Instagram, for example, and I get DMs from people who are like, I feel seen by this brand. Like I've never had a, like, I've never been so proud of a brand before. And that is like, that fucking just makes everything worth it of like, Oh, I remember being that person and just feeling like a lot of these brands aren't made for me. They don't feature people who look like me. They're not made by people who look like me, all of that. Right. And so I feel like, you know, we, we have such an honor and a duty to do right by these communities. At the same time, I'm a little bit angry at that burden, right? Like mm -hmm. no one looks at Mark Zuckerberg and like, he must build a company that represents white right. people. Like that's not a thing, <laughs> right? And, and, and so in that way, like does he or folks like him, they get to unlock a little bit of bluer sky. They get to unlock mm -hmm. more creativity, more space for freedom, for innovation, for play. And I sometimes feel that 
you know, while it's such an honor and like, I'm, I'm so thankful that people even look to us as some like sort of example or like, I don't know, something to, to, to learn from in any way when, when I kind of just feel like, you know, at the end of the day, it's like Vanessa and I building this business rooted from us as individuals, us as only, like we can't speak for Vietnamese communities. We can't speak for Southeast Asian communities. Um, and, and oftentimes that we're put under more scrutiny, which is like yes. fine and we welcome it. And I think oftentimes we step up to it. Um, but then I think about how many other companies often, as you say, run by cisgender white men, straight men, um, are, are allowed to perhaps make mistakes or to experiment or to fuck up more. Um, and, and isn't that, and how poetic in an awful way that that is the case of like, oh, surprise, surprise, people of color, underrepresented minorities are put under more scrutiny um, and are kind of critiqued more. And so, yeah, it's like this funny double-edged sword for me sometimes where I'm like, it's like we're working really hard, but sometimes it feels like kind of first scraps sometimes, sometimes, not always. But yeah. I I think you you mentioned something that all of us feel, right? If you're in the corporate context, the comparison there is, why am I expected to spend my extra time going to employee resource groups for women, for Asian people, um, for things that I identify with? Because that's where supposedly the mentorship happens and the relationships are built between certain subsets. Or in the school context, it's, you know, I want to, so I will, you know, join Korean, Vietnamese, Asian American student groups. But to our white counterparts, it's just life. Right. There's no specific cultural things that they um, feel obligated or feel pressured to be a part of. And then so it, it does bring up so many things in terms of burden. But I um, look, I'm in the same boat. I didn't have to start an Asian American podcast. Right. I could have mm-hmm. talked about mindset and success and, you know, just try to talk to the same 10 white guys that every other podcaster with the same mindset wants to talk to. Right. And then I think about. And it's not a, a, it is a burden, but I think about the opportunity that, you know, the pain of us, like you guys all just said, like, of not seeing somebody that looked like me doing cool shit like we are doing now. And I have a daughter who's about a year and a half. And um, I love you guys for what you guys are doing, because one day I'm going to say, look, look at Auntie Vanessa and Auntie Kim. They're doing <laughs> cool shit, right? And, and we're cooking with the food that people who look like us made, right? And you know, um, we'll buy the magazines, we'll buy the stuff, right? And it's, you know, uh, I guess idea ideas aside, ideology aside, like it was cool as hell to see Andrew Yang on TV, a debate, right? Because we could point to that and say, yes, you know, representation is important, but it's also what you do with the representation and then what you do for the people that look like you, who fundamentally support you, one, because your product is good, but two, and maybe even if your product isn't the best, like if we don't support each other fundamentally, then how are you going to compete at the general level, right? And and so um, it's so complex. It is something that probably we cannot unpack even in a, in a lengthy conversation. Um, but know that, and as unfortunate, Kim, as you said, but know that your actions, the positive impact of your actions simply by being who you are and what you look like and what your last name is and where your parents come from to a very specific group of people, only you and what you guys are building K 
can impact them in a way because I don't care how many people say drop out of school and go create the next big thing. I don't see myself in 99% of tech founders. I've been in those rooms, been in those sales team meetings where, sorry, it's not a meritocracy. No, making quarter end numbers isn't going to define my success because you're right. It is a burden that we might not look at the rest of the room, but I can compete in rooms they cannot. You can kick ass and feel that they don't dare touch, right? And I hope that we as a country and as a society are finally turning the corner, a long-awaited corner, to reward the people who can only compete in those spaces because above all authenticity, especially food, right? Like how many shitty Asian brands or Asian food products, you know, have American companies try to make that are extremely stereotypical and almost offensive? Um, and I don't know, for many years, that was the only way to get into certain stores. So people bought it up. And now with the internet and with us, you know, the second, third generations rising up, there's really no excuse for us not to be representing ourselves. Um, and so I know it's not an easy journey. Um, and, and while people are just starting and people may just be starting to find out about you guys through the good press that you're getting and through the good work of your social media um, and, and all that, um, you guys have been at this for a year and a half, almost two years. Um, what, what are some lessons that you might want to share um, consistency and just putting your head down when you don't get to have those external validators of success to keep you going while not important. Those do help on the motivation perspective um, to some of our listeners who might be on day one or month one, or even year one of what they perceive to be their legacy driving mission. Um, what are some things that you can help them understand about on the topic of consistent and dedication on building something meaningful? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy to, to hop in on that. But one of the things I did want to highlight real quick, Jerry, is I know I know you use the word authenticity when talking about about um, our products and about like what we deserve in, in the grocery store. And I, Kim and I talk a lot about this, this word. And, and also I think more broadly that we've had conversations with other folks, other people of color in the food industry. And, you know, what we've actually strive for as a brand is, is not actually authenticity, but rather cultural integrity. Um, mm. And I think that can look like a lot of different things, but to us, it's, just making sure that we involve people um, of these backgrounds in the in the kind of creation of our products, and that you know they they profit off of the products that they that they work on with us, mm -hmm. and that's how we've chosen to define it. And we hope that 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 resonates with that those audiences, with those chefs, and also with consumers. Um, but we we really don't you know want we don't think we should or any food food brand to or chef to be held to the standard of quote unquote authenticity, because we often think that that's only um, asked of chefs of color, right? Like, do you ever hear, you know, like a French chef being like, Oh, or, or folks being like, Oh, that French food wasn't authentic. You know, like if, <laughs> if it's like a 10 course tasting menu, for example, like that's not the way that my grandma made it in France. Right. You don't really hear that, but why is it that French food can be elevated in that way? or elevated, sold for more money, I suppose, um, in that way. And so that's just something that Kim and I have talked a lot about and, and um, wanted to share because it's a, it's an interesting perspective and it's one that, you know, um, I know um, 
a wonderful writer at Vice who, who actually happened to write about Omsom. Her name's Bettina. Um, and, and Kim sent this article to me. I thought it was really interesting. Or this tweet. This It was a series of tweets, right, Kim? Yeah, it was a tweet storm. <laughs> it was a tweet storm. Kim is really good at finding all these wonderful nuggets of knowledge on Twitter. And she said that, I'm going to paraphrase, but essentially authenticity harkens to nostalgia. And there's no way that you can deliver on that because it will never be good as that person's like, you know, nostalgic memory. Right. Right. I mean, Kim, you, you, you know that best, but like, that's, that's something that we, we, we think about a lot as a brand. Yeah. It's like, I think she's broadly saying, yeah, authenticity is a construct. And if it's, if it's reliant on memories and nostalgia, then it's set up to fail. Mm. When you, when you set, you know, food or whatever up to this, this, this expectation of authentic, authentic, um, you actually, in many ways, set up that that brand, that founder, that chef, whatever that is, um, up to failure. And I just thought that was like, yeah, really interesting. And I was like, I know that we've kind of reckoned with that in some ways, right? Like we've had some folks in our comments who are like, hey, no, my grandma didn't make it this way. And all of a sudden that's bad, right? And we're like, oh, you, perhaps it, it is not your your grandma's version. Um, right. But, you know, for our chefs who, you know, have cut their teeth, um, you know, right writing menus and building restaurants like this was their version that felt natural and, and felt like home to them and so yeah it's a really kind of tricky and probably much longer academic discussion <laughs> um but again i think about burdens to bear like yeah. that is again a burden to bear for mm-hmm. pocs and oftentimes frankly we hold each other up to it like oftentimes sure. some of our most loud critics are other asian americans yeah um and and so yeah it's and, and I don't know, you know, that's fine. Like, I, I don't feel, you know, salty about right. that. I think it's more just like, you know, we, we oftentimes kind of can, can make it harder for each other. Um, sure. To just not, we don't champion each other perhaps sometimes. And so, um, yeah, it's something we're, we're thinking a lot about even in practice as individuals. Food's obviously subjective, right? If yeah. you think that your grandmother's recipe of making you know, pho or kimchi like is the shit, then scientifically there are tens of millions of perfect recipes because through the history of time, (laughs) tens of millions of people have made the same dish. And, and, and so, you know, I, I think it's, um, yeah, it's food, food is tricky, right? I mean, I think sometimes when you see it, um, uh, you know, patronized or, uh, you know, done by done, done deliberately to, you know, um, take advantage of something then you know that it's done wrong or done, mm. you know, um, with malice, but there's really no perfect way to do any sort of dish because who cares, right? Like you could, I don't know, like who, who gives up Michelin stars, right? Like it's not, yeah. it's a person, right? Like who, who's to say that everybody would love it. Right. And, um, you know, some of the best foods that we've all eaten come from hole in the wall, you know, places that don't make magazine covers and they're not lauded as the best places in the world. Um, but it's all down to, I guess, you know, um, the connection between the maker and the taster and, and to see that, you know, um, there's at least some sort of understanding between this is what we hope to evoke out of you in terms of an emotion. Um, so I think that's super fantastic. Um, five years from now, um, seven years into your Amsam journey, um, what would make you guys individually the most proud of what you've achieved first as a business, but two as sister co-founders. So 
That's 2025. I'm trying to do math. Um, 2020 is never going to end. So it's like. Yeah. It'll still be 2020 at that point. (sighs) I. I would love to be a household name. Like. I like when I think about how you change the world and you change how people eat, I think about how like I would love to move some of these cuisines or some of these dishes away from like this. I only get it at restaurants or Mm -hmm. I have to devote a whole special Sunday to it because it's like this special thing. And, and I love that people want to engage with these cuisines and I love that they think it's special, but the way for it to become normalized and part of culture is like you cook it on a Tuesday sort of thing. Obviously, I don't want to like move our products and our brand into such a place of convenience where we like dilute and dump down and distill, right? But I wanted to just be like, oh yeah, of course. Like you know what, I'm gonna start moving seasick into my weekly routine or whatever that is. And I think like when we reach that level of like mind share, frequency of use, and just like acceptance into your life, I will. I like that makes me so happy in the same way that like kind of sriracha did. You know, like mm. now people like put sriracha in their purse, put like sriracha's in rap lyrics. <laughs> like sriracha is just like something that became almost like its own cult movement. Right. Um, I like, I don't want Amazon to be exactly that, but I would love for these cuisines and therefore these cultures and communities, hopefully just a more integrated part of Americana. Um, Cause like, what is Americana? And like, why can't we and other POC communities, not just Asians, um, just be a part of the way that we eat normally. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know what that looks like in actuality, but that's what I am inspired by. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, Kim and I did this exercise like way back at the beginning of our journey of like, what are the headlines, you know, we want on some to have in like five years. And I think we, we both saw like a vision where, you know, Omsom was being used across the country by people of all backgrounds. It was sitting in people's pantries. It was a staple. Um, it was sitting between the olive oil and the tomato sauce. You know, it, that's the kind of resonance and like, and, and cultural um, relevancy that we would love, not ensemble, but just even like just these flavors to have. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's the vision and there's so many different ways to get there. I love that for us, that vision comes from a place of cultural impact. Um, and of course the, you know, all the other, you know, hard, I guess, business milestones like can feed into that, but we start from that place and we work backwards. Um, and I think that's a much more meaningful North star for us than, than anything else. Um, and then a sister co-founders. Hmm. I don't even like matching houses, matching yachts. <laughs> oh. oh my gosh. I know. I, I want us to like co-invest in other yes. female POC founders. Like that would be amazing if like I got a deal and then I was like, yo, Kim, Here's a you, got, you gotta look yeah. at this. You gotta look at like, kind of like, I guess what we have to do on the other side now. <laughs> uh, but like, I don't know. I mean, it's kind of, I don't know if you've ever seen 
the meme of like I don't know what sport it is, but it's like when you jump on a seesaw and then it propels the other person up, and then the they jump on the seesaw and yeah. the other person goes. The, there's a meme that has that where they're all like helping each other propel to the next seesaw, and it says I forget the headline. It's something like white tech bros like funding each other startups. <laughs> and like i kind of we i want us to do that like not fully because like i think opportunity should be like we should try to equalize things but in general like to just make up for that history to have us doing that in like the poc founder circles like that would be amazing oh yeah oh my god yes that's definitely it like it's it's kind of like there's you know people are always like you know pull up a chair to the table i'm like i want to make a whole new table like just a whole new like economy, like the, the how consumers right. shop, who consumers are, what they value is completely changing. Right. And so instead of us trying to like retrofit back into this very kind of like legacy, mostly white, very Silicon Valley driven economy, mm-hmm. like what if we created our own, you know, and, right. and, and like not in an exclusive way, but just in a way that actually rather reflects the, the sure. DNA of this country. Um, so yeah, I think as individuals, that'd be sick. We started investing. Yeah. Um, I would be really excited to like build a real, like a big team, not a real team. We have a real team now. Our team's incredible. Um, but like a larger team, I would love to see how the Kim and Vanessa dynamics play out when we have like 20 employees. <laughs> um, I think that could be like really interesting and really cool. Um, and then I would like for us to be like still really good friends and still hang out and like not talk about work um we would not live together that will never happen <laughs> probably not within the life the lifespan of Opsal, maybe after um and yeah i would just want to make sure that like we're still happy and we're still good like if this business is a success but we are not friends at the end of it i will consider this a failure like even if we sell this thing whatever we ipo whatever that is but we're not friends at the end of this doesn't matter I don't know. It won't be seen as a success to me. That's actually the right, a more correct version of, I think, how you measure this to be a success. Um, let's end on a fun one. Um, years and years from now, uh, somebody will inevitably make a documentary about you guys <laughs> and a movie about the Fam Sisters because you are not even just in chapter one of your story of what I know that you guys will achieve. Um, you guys just gave us a, a sneak peek into what your grander vision and, and legacy planning is. Um, so let's think about that. You guys are um, being asked to come in and consult for this new director 30, 40 years from now to make a story about how Amsam began. In 2020 version, who plays you? Who plays your sister? Oh, my God. And it can't mm. be Emma Stone. I know. I was gonna say. I was like, "Too handsome." Amazing people all the time. Um, Matt, Matt Damon. Oh, I, Kim, I feel like you'd be like you'd have like Aquafina or someone, <laughs> or like Ali Wong. <laughs> Probably Ali Wong. I mean, that would be like amazing. But yeah, I was gonna say like Miley Cyrus. Just like obviously she's not Asian, but like I just feel like she has like weirdo vibes like me mm. but she has weirdo vibes and i definitely have weirdo, vibes. weirdo vibes she just have weirdo vibes super <laughs> vanessa oh my god emma chan hmm. <laughs> she did not like that 
Not Emma Chan, really. I feel like she just has like this like calmness and intentionality and beauty of of her. No. Wait, remind me who this is. Am I horrible? From Crazy Rich Asians. Oh, Gemma uh, Chan. Gemma Chan. Oh, oh my God, that would be the dream. Oh no, yeah. she's like she's so. That's. <laughs> I don't know if I could. Wow. They would have to like. I can, I can see both of those. That's. They would have to just like tell her to be a little bit less elegant. They'd be like, okay, she's like just take. That's true. She's so elegant. I'm not. She's that's... very elegant. Hell, let, let's call John Chu. Let, let's put it on the books. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Gemma Chan. Okay, Gemma. Yes, yes. Right. That would be, be amazing. She's clearly very smart and like. Very I do. Lucky. I do look up to her. Yes. <laughs> let's share final business advice. Um, you guys are exploding right now and uh, getting wildly recognized for all your hard work during this COVID-19 pandemic. While it has negatively impacted many businesses, what we are finding, and I would love to get your take on this, is that we are, for all the right reasons, um, staying home more, learning to cook again, um, out of necessity sometimes, but other times for creative outlets as bonding moments of intergenerational things to do with parents and grandparents and our children. Um, you guys are growing your at-home cooking complement business during this time when more people are cooking at home than I dare to say in the last hundred years. Um, yes, restaurants are sometimes open outside and yes, there's delivery, but by and large, a lot of people are cooking. Um, obviously nobody planned for this to happen. Um, in that context of all the things that we talked about today, um, your unique experiences, your sister bond, the food, the sauces that pay homage to um, our homes and our countries that are um, culturally integrity. Um, I don't know the other version of that word, so let's say the food that has the cultural integrity. Um, and, and especially given growing, trying to grow this business at a time when the world seems to be so, um, you know, delicate and fragile. Um, but yet things that are good about it is the fact that many of us are spending time at home with our families. Um, what, what are some lessons that you've learned and that you are learning in the moment that you can share with me and the audience on what it means to build a sister startup in 2020? Um, I guess this, this is not really like specific to COVID or the pandemic, but just in general is like everyone, um, you know, every business is like, you have to develop values, right? Like that's, you know, you're going to put it on your hiring page and like, that's how you're going to create a framework around which you hire people, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but I just felt like never have has those words on paper ever been more tested than during hard times. And like, so for example, like, you know, it just showed up in the way that we like, you know, at a most superficial level, it shows up in the way that we like talk to our community and to our audience, like on social media. And it flows all the way through how we make like big business decisions. 
So like, for example, like a lot of our investors wanted us to hold on launching um, because they're like, it's, you know, crazy times in this world. People aren't going to be in a place where they want to try new products. Like this recession is coming. Da, 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 da. Um, and as first time founders, I know that really freaks Vanessa and I out. We're like, these people know, right? Like they have invested in all these companies. They've, they've seen like the whole game. Um, they know what successful companies look like. They know what successful founders look like. So you know, like, are we going to take this bet? But then it came down to like a return to our values, a return to like what we care about as individuals that made us be like, we're going to do it. Like, let's, you know, let's move ahead with this. And I think like my advice or I guess, yeah, is just that like when you're making those values, like actually think about them and like actually think about how they would affect every little decision that you make, because it's not just like words on the paper it's actually like fundamentally how you operate. Um, and I'm really, really glad that Vanessa and I sat down. It was like, I think we did it. Jeez. And I said like, what, like month four in and we're like, oh, I guess we got to do this. And we like came up with these words and like wrapped a little thing around them. And we're like, Oh, cute. Four bullet points. Um, and now we still find ourselves like it's baked into who we are as a company. Mm -hmm. And I'm so, so glad we did that early on. I'm so glad we did that early on. Um, so yeah, just like develop those things and stick to them. And if and it's okay if you don't stick to them, just change them and like know that and like own that. Um, but don't just like pay lip service to them. Yeah. And my what I would say is like pretty pretty related, but it's something that I feel like I've been, you know, it's something that we we live every day and we think we confront every day, which is that with you know, with our, with our backgrounds, with, you know, being women, being Southeast Asian women, being young founders, I think I, I feel exhausted all the time by like fighting against power dynamics, like all the time. Like that's something that I don't think, I think other people get energy from power dynamics because they're on the end where they're bolstered from it. And as a founder, I often feel like I'm fighting them. Like I'm like, like wading through like muck. And what I have found is that if you're building something that you are uniquely equipped to understand or have a different outlook on, you know, probably instinctively know way more about what's right for your business than what all the people who have all the experience or all the dollars in the bank or, um, or all the respect for, you know, their thinking, like you might know more than them, honestly, because this is what you live and this is what you breathe. And you should never doubt that or not never, you will, you will doubt it all the time, but you, you should remember that that's really valuable. And I, I think that's, a, that's something I have to remind myself every day where I, I like sometimes leave conversations where I'm just like, Oh, like maybe I'm thinking about this the wrong way or like, and I found that over time, as I've seen these things play out where I doubted myself, things played out and that person was wrong and I was actually right. Or, or, you know, um, Kim and I had a perspective that was actually much more nuanced and ended up like taking into account factors that other people just didn't, didn't see. Um, I've, I've realized that it's, it's super important to, to not have it be your default to, adopt what the expert says or what the person with the power in the situation says. Um, and it's hard. It's, it's definitely a hard thing to do, but to, to start to trust your perspective and see a lot of merit and validity in your perspective, even if you're the less experienced or the less powerful in, in the dynamic, um, 
And then I found that the more that you get comfortable around that and you start to recognize that, then those those other people will can, can can are so quick to fully turn around. Like you thought they knew what they were talking about. And then you're like, oh, actually, I have a unique perspective because of my lived experience or because of right. the time I've dedicated to trying to understand whatever whatever we're talking about. And those people would be the the first to be like, oh, you're right. That's so interesting, actually. Like I never, you know. So I don't know. I think it's, it's an exercise in like building conviction and like understanding like there's power at play, but it's it's power is actually irrelevant when it comes to to insight and, and, um, and perspective in business. That is such an amazing gem from both of you. Um, look, you, you are building a sauce business rooted in home, right? And I'm trying to build a media thing based on those stories. And if I take my podcast advice from what many would consider to be the podcast experts, um, they all sort of look the same. They don't know how to tell stories of children, of people who've been through war and been through uh, concentration camps and stories of discrimination, uh, both racial and gender, and so many other things. Um, I know about myself, as you guys know about yourselves, that you are uniquely qualified, better than anybody else in the world in this very moment, to be leading the exact company that you guys are. And it is so effing hard because books are not written for our people, by our people, not yet at least, on how to lead these businesses that we know in our heart of hearts that are not only necessary, but actually are necessary only through your involvement. And they're only possible through your involvement. Um, every business book, not every, nearly every, most business books um, have more than, I don't know, 90% of the stuff that comes out of Harvard Business Review and so many other things that we uh, just relegate to being the gospel when it comes to strategy and logic are not written by people who look like me and you, who do not understand the very unique perspective of gender and culture and being the other. And I'm actually glad for that because in a way, we're trying to build a business so that nobody else feels other. And if there was already a blueprint on it, then our jobs are not perhaps a little bit easier and better funded, but hell, it won't be as fun and it won't be as educational. And as you mentioned, Kim, the, some of the notes that you get from the people who gained with you, um, you know, we have, I have also gotten some crazy notes and have connected with people um, that aside from, you know, in, in tune with the, the thing that's very hard to do in a business, which is to stay away from numbers and look at who's listening and how many people are listening. When you get one of those emails, it just validates everything that you're doing. Um, it keeps you going. It makes you stay up later at night to put in the long hours because um, I think about, shit, in year one, if this is what's happening, you just have to keep doing it because by year five, year 10, you're, you're going to change the world. So um, Kim, Vanessa, thank you so much uh, for being an inspiration to me and to a lot of people out there. Um, it's fun. It's uh, so proud and, and just really, really happy that you, got, you guys are doing it. Um, and I know I've mentioned this on the show before. Um, take action. Reach out. Uh, we're here having this conversation because I sent a note to Vanessa on LinkedIn. She had commented on something that Carol wrote or vice versa. 
And I said, holy shit, like you guys are doing this. I need to talk to you. And that was a couple months ago. And here, here we are having this conversation, developing a friendship and um, just really being able to share and encourage each other in the things that we're doing um, to create businesses that perhaps our immigrant parents wished we didn't have to create that are so rooted in our own individual experiences. But in a way, what better way to celebrate our parents for all the shit that they went through than to create lasting legacy projects that actually pay honor and respect to them because this is America. This is the American dream that we will see Amsam in store shelves, perhaps in the Asian section, just because that's what it is, but that it will be not tucked away in a corner and that you don't have to explain what it is. And I think Sriracha was such a perfect example um, of what it can be and, and still remain, um, you know, a product with integrity, a product that, does not, uh, you know, bend or mend to um, external desires. So um, I, I am so excited for you guys. I have no idea what's next. I mean, um, we don't either. And, and can it's you fine. imagine the press? I mean, can you imagine the press tour you guys would be doing if like TV studios were open and you guys would actually <laughs> go do demos? Like to, to me, that's exciting. Um, look, if you're out there and you're cooking a lot from home and you're like, I need to spice things up, uh, please, please, please do yourself a favor. Um, go to their website, omsam.com. Um, check them out. Um, they're so popular that their stuff is a little bit on back order. I haven't gotten mine yet. So, um, we're we're, we're, hard. I, no, I'm, this is not to call you guys out. This is to literally <laughs> drive home the point that, you know, you guys are doing so well that every, you guys released three times now and have sold out every single time. Um, and for, with, with every new review, with every new article, with every new thing that you guys do, um, you know, there, there will be, um, Vanessa, I guarantee you're going to go back to Harvard one day to present the case that they're going to write about you, um, to talk about the business lessons of you guys. Um, and Kim, you are going to go back to every single stage around the world and tell the story <laughs> of how through the pandemic, you grew this culturally relevant business. Um, so proud of you guys. So excited to see what's next. Um, after I cook with what comes in the mail. I will tell you guys all about it. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll do an Instagram live and I'm, I'm telling you for everybody out there, um, follow Amsam on Instagram. It's at Amsam on Twitter. It's at we are Amsam O M S O M. Uh, Kim, Vanessa, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I know days are long. I know, uh, the, the hours can be tough and I know at least from experience with having a brother too, that working with siblings, might be a bit of a challenge at times, but um, you you are doing more things for more people than I think you ever realized. So keep on fighting the good fight. We're also very proud of you, and I will see you guys soon. Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for the conversation and for the kind words. It means a ton. Thanks so much for tuning in. Really great conversation, some awesome perspectives and amazing tips from the FAM sisters. I want to thank them again for making time for joining us on the show. They're doing really important work in an important area. Could not be more prouder of them and so excited to see the future of not only Amsam, but both Vanessa and Kim as they navigate their careers. Please do share this episode out with a friend or two if you want to share it. Be sure to tag us at Dear Asian Americans wherever you can on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. Search Dear Asian Americans and on Twitter, we're just Dear Asian Am. 
If you'd like to send me a note to ask me a question or have comments or nominate a guest, you can DM me through Instagram at the Asian Americans or find me on my personal account at Jerry J. Wan. Again, thanks so much for tuning in. It really means a lot. We're on episode 61. We're getting close to a five-month anniversary in a few weeks and getting close to a milestone on the download count side that is really, really uh, amazing and humbling and, and really awesome for us. So I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in and for sharing out our stories, um, our stories that deserve to be shared, our stories that need to be shared, not just for us, but for our children. So I thank you again for tuning in. Please be safe. Please be healthy. Don't forget to smile and keep sharing your Asian American stories. This has been your host, Jerry Wan, and I'll see you on Friday.